Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and I'm sitting in the same room as Luke Bailey right now, my co-host. Hi, Luke. Hi, Ryan. Yeah, this is extremely weird. Uh, it is the, weird. the second time that this has happened in the same room. Yeah, this time, though, we're not in the basement of a bar. No, we're in a, uh, a custom-built studio that we've had. <laughs> That's right. In, uh, in your lovely living room. Yeah. Uh, we are here because I am in the UK this week for Luke's stag do, which is what <laughs> British people call a bachelor party. It's not, it's not really a stag do or a bachelor party. <laughs> we're going to a concert. Yeah. That's what we're doing, going to do. It's, we're very exciting yes. people, as you can tell. But enough about us. Let's get into the show. going to be talking about a guy that you really like today yeah but uh, someone someone who's i think i mean i think every british person loves this guy would you would you say he's like the british john stewart uh i'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm he's kidding. more like the british obama i think yeah right we're talking about a hero to all a man that everyone can agree on we're going to be talking about pierce morgan yeah yeah the the, the, the great british hero the great the great british hero but before we get to that hey luke how was crypto this week Please, 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 don't buy an NFT. Please, 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 don't buy an NFT. Crypto felt even more scammy than usual. Why is that? Everything that seems to have happened this week around crypto seems to have been sort of scammy. But more interestingly, it is, it's not people scamming other people, it's people scamming themselves. That is true. How much do you know about the, the new Bored Apes thing? I mean, I, I know the headlines because I have not, Read properly, but my understanding of it, and explain to me if I'm, I'm wrong here, is that Board Apes released a new collection of NFTs. I know nothing about what those NFTs are, but what I do know is that they did it in such a way that created such demand on the Ethereum blockchain that the gas fees, which are, I did not realize this, I did not realize gas fees are based on kind of like the amount of demand at the time. Oh, yeah. Which is insane. It's crazy. That meant that some people of the, I think I, I think I saw of the 2,000 odd, 3,000 odd sales, um, more than 19 of them well, above $12,000 in gas fees. Yeah. Including one person who paid $45,000 in gas fees for an NFT that cost $5,000. And what's worse is that some people were paying gas fees for transactions that were failing because of the load. So people were paying gas fees to find out that like they didn't get anything. Yeah, so they were just spending a huge amount of money not to, not to spend any money. But it gets dumber than this. So the project is called Other Side, and people thought that Other Side was a video game. And the NFTs they were buying were called other deeds. So everyone was like, oh, okay, like I'm buying a deed to like a metaverse thing, which is stupid, but like you can think, you can conceive it. You, you understand why someone would do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I get it. It turns out it wasn't that, or at least it's not that yet. It could be down <laughs> the line, maybe a deed to a video game real estate thing. But right now it's literally just like a picture of like a like a like a like a kind of environment that your NFTs will hang out in, like a swamp or like a lava world. <laughs> so so 
so essentially they've run out of like animals to turn into NFTs and they're now going generic land, the concept of land. Well, if I understand this right, if you own an NFT that's part of a couple different lines, like say you have like a crypto punk or a board ape. Yeah. If you own those, your other deed will show those NFTs in your other deed. So essentially you've bought a room to put your paintings in. Yeah. But I don't know how that works because like board apes don't have legs and the angle at which these environments, they're like a top down angle. So you would have to, I don't know how this works. I really don't. And I don't think anyone else does either. I mean, you can sort that bit out later. Yeah. Just spend hundreds of millions of dollars and then we'll figure out how this works. Well, the whole thing just seems very sad to me and frustrating. And like, I, I don't know why, I don't understand why you need real estate in a video game because video games aren't real and they can be as big as you want them to be. Yeah, that is that is very much the point of them and how they work. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I mean, I, I feel like NFTs and video games, there is something that makes sense there. Uh, there are collectibles in video games. Um, sure. Like the big, the, again, to bring it back to football. Um, Here we go. The big one being like, like FIFA has an entire mode that's based on collecting like what are called ultimate team cards. So you collect right. a really good player who's like a silver player, a platinum player, or gold player, whatever it is. Uh, and I can see there's something in there of like, you know, maybe after a Champions League final, there are 22 cards that go out of each player who played in it. And there's only one and you that attaches to you as an NFT and it's attached to like your profile because you won that particular contest or whatever. Like I could see there being kind of a, an environment for that and earning right. of it. I don't see why it needs to be blockchain because that's a question with all of this stuff. Doesn't make any sense. But then having a video game that's based on, if you're if you're building the video game after the blockchain stuff, you've gone wrong. I see what you're saying. Yeah, or like, I saw a thing today that was like an NFT that expresses a custom Snapchat filter. Okay. And I was like, okay, it's dumb, but also that makes more sense to me than a JPEG. Because if like your if your NFT expresses a JPEG, I can just take that JPEG and now my it's my monkey picture. Yeah, but I can't do that with a filter. No, I mean, and you can't do that with like a video game sword. So that to me makes sense because those things are not just like files that I can easily right click and save. They're not fungible, in other words. They're not fungible. They're non fungible. Exactly. So that makes sense, I I think. But it's so so re- no really what we're talking here is replicating it. So there are instances like that if something is built in a video game where it genuinely is not replicable. Yeah. Like, or theoretically not replicable. Like the Master Sword from Zelda. Sure. Yeah. But then, so the problem really here is that the NFTs are then inherently fungible because it's a JPEG. So they've attached a non-fungible element to a fungible item. Yeah. Whereas in other instances, there are genuinely non-fungible items. Therefore, I guess they don't need the blockchain bit because they're already non-fungible. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. If you put a non-fungible token on an already non-fungible internet thing, you don't need the token. You can just give people that thing. Yes. So once again, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> I don't understand. What? I don't get it. I don't get that. I want to get it. I want to, in good faith, understand what this is. But every single time I think I have it figured out, I realize I don't have it figured out, and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, every time we're talking about it, we end up in the same same place. We're like, but why? But why? And if it's it's that thing of however far down you go, you always end up just getting to a point where you're saying, no, no, because this, you don't need it. You don't. This doesn't need to be blockchain. Yeah, because like, what does the NFT do for the Snapchat filter that I couldn't just do with the Snapchat filter? Yeah, exactly. 
Like you can't you you have you have the existence of a Snapchat filter that no one else has, and it's like okay, cool. Then when you share it, but you have the filter already. You've already couldn't paid it for- just be like a QR code without the blockchain? I mean, it's effectively like part of it is just it is a certificate of authenticity, right? It's saying, guess, hey, here yeah. is the authentic thing, which is fine. But why do you need that? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I mean, there's something, again, this kind of where it, it hints at the idea, like the idea that you could have your own personal blockchain or a linked blockchain where you could actually put stuff on and say, okay. So, for example, if you had a certificate of authenticity with an artwork that potentially could be stolen in the future, like if you have access to that, you know that if someone else is selling your artwork and you don't have access to the the, the non-fungible, you know it's not a forgery. Or rather, the other way around. If you if you if you were trying to buy an artwork and we wanted to be sure that it wasn't fake, then the authenticated owner of it has the thing on the blockchain, and they say these two match. So right. you can't sell. If someone comes in with a photo painting and goes, "Oh, this is a real Van Gogh," and you're like, "Oh, I, can you prove it? Do you have the authentic certificate on the blockchain?" They're like, "No, I just have this piece of paper." It's like I can see how that would work, but again, the thing of value there is the thing that is attached to it, not the thing itself. And that's where it's kind of mad. Yeah. Cause it's not, yeah. Like it's not, it's not what it is. <laughs> like it's like people want it to be a thing that it's just not. I, yeah. Again, it's the thing the technology itself is not necessarily bad, but it's the, it's, it's not good either. If you say, okay, this board ape is attached to the blockchain in this way. And therefore like, that's how you know it's real. And it's like, okay, fine. Why do I want the board ape? And the answer is because it's attached to the blockchain. It's like, no, what? But why? If it wasn't attached to the blockchain, I wouldn't want it. So why not attach something better to the blockchain? So there is, again, there's the argument, you know, if you have, I don't know, a, a collection of historically important documents, or like, I don't know, there's like, I don't know, like four copies of US, con- original copies of the US Constitution or something. So each one of those attached to the blockchain. Therefore, if Nicolas Cage steals one of them, he can't do anything with it because it's attached to the blockchain and then everyone knows it's a forgery. Like I can see that as an like authentication thing, but the reason it's valuable is because it has a map to treasure on the back of it, not because it's attached to the blockchain. You're talking about in the movie, not in real life. I mean, I think we know it's the same deal. But that is, wait, I'm just checking. That isn't based on a thing in the real life, right? <laughs> it's not, the US Constitution is real, but the map is not. Oh, okay, okay. I figured the Constitution was real, but there is not a treasure map on the back of it. That we know of. That we know of. Only one way to find out. We got to get on the blockchain. And so this, <laughs> I like, this is actually what we're doing for my for my, my stack dude. We're going to steal the Declaration of Independence yeah. and we're going to burn it and put it on the blockchain. Yes. <laughs> okay. Hey, Luke, how was the internet this week? Um, the internet itself was, I mean, talking of, uh, the U.S. Constitution, the internet has been kind of, I, I feel like the internet has got very angry and tense and it's suddenly 2016 all over again. It's yeah, felt very, uh, very I would definitely say that people are angry and tense right now. Um, we yeah. are of course, uh, vaguely talking about, uh, a possible Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, which came out basically this morning of when we're recording. It's I mean, good. You, you know how Politico got hold of the original, uh, got rid of hold of the draft of the decision. And you know how what would have been easier for them, an easier way for them to authenticate it? Blockchain. Yeah, blockchain. Yeah. Had, the, had the draft been on the blockchain, we would have immediately known whether or not it was real. I feel like there is definitely a kind of political idea that you are expressing right now, where it's like, <laughs> there is like a certain level of like, crypto maximalism where it's like okay but if we overturn 
abortion. It has to be on the blockchain. Yeah. But yeah, so the decision came out, or rather the decision did not come out. The draft was obtained by Politico, which appears to reveal that the justices voted uh, in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade. We know that five voted for that, three voted against. It's not clear which way Roberts voted at the time of recording. Yeah, It's incredibly rare that stuff gets leaked from the Supreme Court. It's, never, it's like almost never happened before. Although weirdly, one of the last, few last times it has happened was Roe v. Wade, uh, the original decision. Some stuff got leaked around that. And yeah, the, the decision broadly means that in, I think it's 24 states... Uh, 22. 22 states, significant restrictions on abortion will come in overnight when that when that decision comes down, uh, which is pretty wild. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. How's your country doing? Um, well, a, a man was caught searching for tractors and it turned out to be pornography in the House of Commons. Yeah. To, uh, to lighten up the mood here, talk, talk through our American listeners about this because this is one of my favorite stories of the last couple of years. I think this is a really fantastic story all around. Everyone involved just really did a great job. All right. So the, the I mean, the serious part of this is that the... Wait, there's a serious part? There's a very serious part. Oh, man. The serious part of this is that Parliament has had long had a culture of sexual harassment that has been oh, very yeah. tricky to stamp out. That's true. Yeah. And this is an expression of it, uh, that an MP was caught uh, an MP, Neil Parrish, um, was caught basically viewing... It was, he was accused in a committee meeting of watching pornography in the House of Commons, which is the actual chamber. It's not like in his office or in a committee meeting, but it's actually in the chamber. Who among us? He he was asked... He No, actually, first, he went on GB News. An anonymous MP was initially... We didn't know who he was. This is my favourite part. Yeah. An anonymous MP was accused, didn't know who he was. This MP actually then went on GB News to be like, well, there'll be an investigation and we'll find out what happened and and, and we'll we'll see we'll see what, what the situation is. About a day later, it turned out to be him. That's fantastic. That's so good. It's so good. That's so good. Fuck. Yeah. If you're gonna, yeah, if you're gonna, if you're gonna defend people yourself of using over using pornography, then I can go. So wait, this wasn't clear to me when he went on GB News to say that an anonymous MP who was in fact him was being investigated. Did he know that it was him? I'm not clear. So, so <laughs> there are two incidents which he is being he's he's being accused of watching pornography in the in Parliament twice. Yes. Once was in the House of Commons. Once was during a uh, committee meeting. Uh, I believe the House of Commons instance. Uh, he was waiting to vote and was says he was looking at websites for tractors. Yeah, that's a good one. I love that. And then inadvertently ended up on the wrong website and continued to consume that content rather than exit back and return to the tractors. A friend of his finally clarified that there is a type of tractor called a dominator. Yes. And that he was looking for photos of dominator tractors. Yeah. Uh, and then he ended up on a dominatrix thing, I, I guess. That would be, the, that would be the, the course of events that I would expect. Which is interesting because I do remember from my early 4chan days in high school that there was a guy who would fuck tractors and post photos of himself doing so on 4chan. Yeah. I mean, there was an extended period where they would, would, would just, there was a lot of like fucking of inanimate objects. Yeah, there was a guy. Particularly vehicles. There was a guy. It was always the same guy. And he, I don't, I'm not going to get into the anatomical way of how he did it, but he, yeah, he, he would regularly make love to trucks and, and cars and tractors. So, okay, this Neil Parrish guy. Who instantly is not a known MP. No one knew who he was. Well, they do now. I had never, I genuinely think I'd never heard of him. Where is he from? Uh, he is from Tiverton and Honiton in Devon. 
which actually I do know Tiverton. I've been through Tiverton. Is it nice? It's a small town in Devon. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. He's now resigned. Okay. Uh, he, I think what he, what he did not realize that there were two accusations. The one accusation, which he thought was accidental, he was like, I don't think that's me because I only did it accidentally. And then the second accusation, when he was like, oh yeah, no, that was me. That time I meant to do it. Uh, I think he then discovered that one. So I think he sort of knew and sort of didn't know when he was in GB News, if that makes sense. My question is the second. So let's say the first time he's looking at, you know, we've all been there. We're all yeah. online. We're looking at tractors. Yeah. And then we see some pornography. <laughs> and you just, you get, you get caught up. Fine. Fair enough. Yeah. The second time. I guess he said that he that didn't involve tractors, right? He was just looking. No, he, that time he went to look for it and just. So just what for if, fun. like, what if when he was looking at tractors, he found the pornography, and then he was like, like it awoken something in him. I don't think the tractors were involved in the pornography. You no, think, no, no, the no, no. I'm saying. Awoke something. Okay, hold on. Let me. What I'm saying is this: He's in the House of Commons. He Google's tractors. Sure. <laughs> he comes across some pornography. While Googling tractors. And then he's like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm a looking at porn in public guy. Oh, he's not a porn guy. He's a looking at porn in public He discovered guy. a kink while doing it. Interesting. And that's what made him do it a second time. Well, this is just kink shaming in that case. I agree. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's, an it's not. He's a creepy, weird man. There is definitely like a kind of boomer man who casually browses pornography in public. Like that's a thing. I yeah, I mean, I want, I'm not going to say it's a boomer man thing. I think it's just a man thing. But like older men looking at pornography okay. in like the in like the library, like that's a thing. Sure, I mean the the, the classic example is trains, though. And like if you walk down a train, if you walk down the whole of a train in the UK, I guarantee you will pass like two or three men looking at porn on their phones. <laughs> this country is deranged. But all but of these people it's, it's, are sick in the brain. I, okay, if not pornography, then. Going through very specific hashtags on Instagram or whatever, like just looking at lewds, basically, yeah. Well, you I mean, guys did have pornography in the newspaper until like what, like the nineties? I, mean, I think we may still do. Yeah, I actually came across it once uh, in a like a sports pages thing. Yeah, what's the page six, page three, page three, page three? Yeah, but there was, there was I think we also had like lads mags for a very long time, which were also very weird. Yeah, the whole, the whole like. British culture of like men casually looking at pornography and getting horny about it in public is really weird. It is. It is. I should. One other thing I want to highlight about this story is that the um, the reaction of his wife, who was very like, oh, it's very embarrassing. But then after a bit of back and forth, says, um, it's the greatest meaning. But on the other hand, it takes two to tango. There must be women posing for this. Oh, that to me, there's a lot going on there. There's a that. lot going on. So. There. <laughs> I mean, does she think that like there's only a few women making porn? I don't know. Does she think that this but is I like think, on a level I think, where like I think the criticism of she's basically saying her husband's nice, he never would have looked at porn if people people knew, but on the other hand, there are women posing for it, so it's kind of their fault. Yeah. She's basically saying like my husband wouldn't look at pornography in public if there wasn't pornography to look at. Yeah, that's what she's saying. Bold, you know, a bold strategy. Yep. I gotta I gotta hand it to her. <laughs> it's a pretty good idea. To try that, I guess. Speaking of uh, grown men embarrassing themselves, let's talk about Pierce Morgan.
Let's talk about Piers Morgan. So to start off, why are we talking about Piers Morgan this week? Piers Morgan, uh, I'm trying to think which week it would have been now. Last week was the first week, so it would have been last Monday he launched his the world's first ever global talk show. That's right. Which is true. Like Up until now, it has been impossible to watch content from the US and the UK, content from the UK and the US. You guys online, never... Online, well, you did just get Seinfeld here. That's true, we did. So... When he says global talk show, what does that mean? Well, it's not totally clear, but this is Rupert Murdoch's project, which has come in the wake of GB News and also kind of a few other failures. And GB News was Murdoch as well? No, GB News was Paul Marshall, who is a significant bracket of Brexit and the father of uh, Winston Marshall from Mumford & Sons. Right, right. The Mumford & Sons Brexit connection. I always forget about that one. And the GB News connection, which is the fun part. And GB News was sort of like his version of Fox News, but it it, it failed pretty hard, right? Or is it still around? I mean, no, it's still around. It's still going. Um, they had a lot of problems with it. It's gotten a little better because I couldn't have got worse. They right. they basically tried to run a TV channel on the cheap and tried to not re- avoid investing in like floor managers, which is tricky. So essentially, the people mix, mixing technicians in the gallery were running backwards and forwards to like move people around on the floor and then run back to the gallery and hope that like it was still going out, which. Yeah, that's great. They've, they've kind of up up the budget a bit, brought on a few other people, lost a few people, and it kind of settled into a just a slightly shitty groove. Like yeah. it's just not very good. And talk UK because Murdoch, I think I believe Murdoch had the initial idea and was kicking it around, and then someone came and were like, "Hey, we're going to do GB News. Do you want to be involved?" And he sort of went, "Hmm, I'm going to put my thing on ice for a bit, see the mistakes that they make, and then try and not make those mistakes." So is Talk TV like good? Not really. I mean, it's higher budget, or it looks higher budget. It's like much, the production's much better. Uh, it has got a little bit of kind of the, it's like part Alan Partridge, part the TV show that you see in a Marvel movie. Uh, it looks like fake TV. Is it looks it? like fake TV, yeah. Okay. yeah. But yeah, it's, it's big headline guest is um, Piers Morgan, who quit uh, Good Morning Britain about a year ago, and maybe a little bit more. So this is the thing that I think a lot of Americans don't know about Pierce. So like, of, like Americans who know Pierce Morgan, they kind of know him as like Donald Trump's weird, sad friend from England, who's like horrible on Twitter. But I think what would surprise Americans to find out is that for the most of Pierce Morgan's career, he's kind of like an evil Regis Philbin. At the moment, yeah. But that is very much his latter career. Like his early career is that he is an extremely old school tabloid newspaper editor. Right. And that's kind of like a really good way to understand him. No, but I'm saying it's just jarring to imagine that this man is doing a morning show because in America, like, they're not serious things with serious people. Yeah. I the mean, the idea that he's like, his like TV platform right now, and, and your morning shows are a little different than ours because like our morning shows are very, like, and this is, I think, a lot to do with like the the way Americans use TV in our lives. But like morning shows in America are like dumb and pointless. So are yours. Yeah. But there's, there's usually like this understanding of like no politics. T- to be fair, that has often long been the case on British morning shows. Uh, and it was sort of still the case with Piers Morgan. There were some exceptions, particularly on the COVID stuff. But he is not like he is not a serious person on a morning show. I wouldn't say he's a serious person in general. Am I right? Oui. Oh, so, so wait, okay. Then maybe I didn't get that either. So he's not doing the Piers Morgan bit on Good Morning Britain? He is, but... It's the kind of division, there's, there's a hard, there's, the way, broadly speaking, news works is that news in the UK has always been much closer to entertainment. 
and that's largely because of tabloid newspapers. Tabloid newspapers in the UK have the role of uh, TV networks in the US, where it's like big and bombastic. Um, and as a result, when people talk about news in the UK, they tend to view it partly as entertainment, and that's been bad for everything. Yeah. What he has done is taken that ta- took that tabloid sensibility. We edited the Mirror for I think uh, nine, ten years, from like 90, uh, 94, 95 to about. 2005-6, yeah. he was fired after publishing fake photos of British soldiers. I, I think I believe they were urinating on Iraqi prisoners, but they were not actually doing that, uh, which is a pretty bad reason to get fired. And the fact that you would have a career after that is honestly kind of remarkable and maybe the most remarkable thing about his career as a whole. That is actually very amazing. Yeah. The photos were alleged to show Iraqi prisoners being abused by British Army soldiers, uh, and they were shown to be fakes. Uh, he refused to admit that her photographs were faked and said that the abuse is similar to the sort of abuse that was happening in the British Army of Iraqis at the time, which we have latter seen things. He may have had a little bit of a point there. That is true. Uh-oh. But those photos are, were, were still fake and he refused to apologize for publishing them and was eventually fired from that job. Okay. Now, that tabloid sensibility is kind of what he took with him. He bounced around a little bit, did kind of, I think he tried to own some other news outlets at the time uh and then eventually ended up in america where he had his talk show uh which was very serious because he replaced larry king right briefly yeah Yeah. and he had his talk show which was and he eventually kind of had to leave over guns because he just refused to stop saying the guns were bad this is like the fun thing about pierce morgan for me is that i disagree with almost everything he ever says and i definitely disagree with the way he says things but he really cannot get in line with the rest of like the global conservative movement because he won't be even like casually pro gun. And like, there's like, there's a bunch of Brexiteers who like figured out that like, if they align themselves with Trump, they'll do really well and they'll just ignore the gun thing. Yeah. He can't. Well, I mean, I think the best way to think of him though is not as a political figure. And if you think of him as a political figure, I think you're already kind of misunderstanding him. So Following his leaving of America, he he made a bunch of shows. They were kind of like one-offs. He'd do like, he did kind of a life stories thing where he talked to famous people. He went and met like high-profile prisoners, that sort of thing. And they were always like two or three episodes long. And eventually in like 2015, 16, he figured out, he found Good Morning Britain and he kind of showed up there. And that was kind of, he figured out, oh, this is a really, really good platform because British Morning Shows are actually relatively well-watched considering they like they get, I believe in the region of millions of viewers. I think it's about, I think the BBC one gets 1.3 and the ITV one gets like 800,000, which you is You also lot. do this weird thing where like all of your newspapers like cover what happens on the morning shows in an interesting way where they, they exist upstream from the newspapers. So like, I remember like I'd be, when I was living here, there, there was like a whole thing where every day, I think it was the sun would just publish the brands that one of the hosts was wearing on one of your morning shows. And you're like, get her look. Well, this is again, kind of, this is not a deliberate content strategy or rather it's a deliberate content strategy, but it's not a editorial content strategy. Because again, these are tabloids. So this is coming from the perspective of news. So, or rather coming from the perspective of entertainment rather than news. So what they are seeing is they are seeing a bunch of people search it what is she wearing so they figure it out put it up and they get a bit of search traffic from it and it's very kind of circular like that and it was set up for a long time because every morning when Piers Morgan would be on or whatever was on the tv a million people would watch something a percentage of them will search whatever the thing is so if they have on a a product that uh, I don't know a, a, a foot bath for dogs or whatever 
like a percentage of people are going to be you like say a foot bath for dogs that's the sort of thing you get on them it is very light often yeah that's true so you're going to get like a football so a bunch of people are going to search for foot bath for dogs so you therefore like run the piece of like what is this foot bath for dogs and you get a bit of search traffic from it. i gotcha yeah no that sounds right but Piers Morgan figured out that you didn't actually need to talk about news on there because you could talk about it from the entertainment perspective. So he, one of his big things that he like figured out and clicked with, oh, this is how you make people talk about it, was the Greg's Vegan Sausage Roll. Ah, uh, yes, which I've had. It's very good. It is very good. So before we go further, a point of context. Greg's would be the closest thing that the UK has to Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, probably. It's like the working class breakfast fast food establishment. Yeah, but I mean, it's also lunch. You can have Greg's anytime. You day. can have Greg's anytime. Yeah. And I have. But a couple of years ago, Greg's did something very unworking class, maybe. Which no, is... no, well, this is it. This is this is exactly the trap you're falling into immediately, because <laughs> they launched a vegan sausage roll. Now, the reality is, is, vegan food tends to be more expensive than non-vegan food. Yeah, for the elites. Yeah, there are some exceptions there around, like you know, various meat cuts and stuff. But broadly speaking, being vegan is slightly more expensive than not being vegan because all the replacements are more expensive versions. Yeah. In this case, they released this like sausage roll, which would mean, hey, if you're a vegan or want to be a vegan or want to be a vegetarian, it's actually much easier to get this sausage roll. It's easier to get it. Well, that's because the elites don't want us to eat meat anymore. Right. But the point is, is that what Piers Morgan noticed was that there was a disconnect between both the idea of it, the actuality, which is it is good that vegan products are more affordable, and the reality of it, which is like a cultural signal. So he takes the cultural signal of Greg's is for working class people. It's the Red Wall voters. It's the, right. It's the, you know, democratic, it's like base that sort of thing yeah because oh, it's those people that doesn't fit with the dem like the democratic elite the kale munching liberals in Islington, right he says in hackney um <laughs> we're in hackney right and he noticed that that and now that is not really politics or it's not really news so i think it's very simple only rich people are vegans and rich people are keeping all the meat for themselves and making us working class people have to eat replacement food made of bugs and vegetables it's not even that. It's not even that complicated. No, but that's how I'm viewing this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Piers Morgan accepts that. He realizes it's just not that complicated. All he needs to do is say, "This vegan thing is disgusting and doesn't match what the the honor, good honesty of Greg's." And half the people say, "That's fucking ridiculous. It's fine." And half the people are like, "Yeah, bullshit." Some of those people are reactionary conservatives who think that everyone should ha be eating steak three times a day, uh, and some of those are working class people who feel alienated from. London, who live outside London or whatever. Although, again, I should point out, London has a high percentage of poverty, has a high levels of poverty. It is not a wealthy city. Where all the elites live, eating their vegan sausage rolls, Exactly. Luke. But he notices all these cultural divides, figures out, let's make a really strong line that, on a divisive issue and turn it into a political thing. So the, the vegan, the Greg's vegan sausage roll becomes political, even though it's really cultural. And he's got a very, well, he's got a very Bannonite view of politics is downstream from culture. But the thing yeah. is, he doesn't have an ideal... He doesn't really care about the politics of it. He cares about the driving the engagement of it and just making sure that people are re reacting to him and figured out that this morning show, watched by a million-plus people-ish, it was around, I think, it was like 800,000 repeat, um, was the number one thing that people were talking about. So every day at half seven, when, the most, when his audience peaks... He suddenly does a bunch of 
controversial stuff or not controversial but divisive stuff right gets people talking about it it's then covered by the newspapers everyone's hyped up and then he builds the ratings for the next day because everyone tunes in to see what the follow-up of this big thing that he did the previous day was so he's like a troll yeah he's a troll but as a result his politics aren't really like that mad like he doesn't he has some like he said a couple of gross things but he's broadly just like no no i'm gonna pick the thing that 45 to 55 percent of the country thinks and the other 45 to 55% of them fucking hate him for it. And I'm going to figure it out, and I'm just going to try and draw these dividing lines in the right place that people are going to argue about it. Like, he was extremely critical of the government over COVID, which is not what a, if you have a conservative government, is not what a reactionary conservative does in the UK. Right. He should have been pro what Boris Johnson was doing. Exactly. Where you compare him to someone like The Spectator, which is the Tory House Bible, House magazine, basically, that was very, very anti-lockdown, pro-Sweden, publish shit about like how masks don't actually work, all that sort of stuff. And that should have been his line if he was a reactionary conservative. He's not. He's not really anything. He is the thing that will make people have an energy. And at the time, it was like, yeah, government's not doing enough. Boris is shit. All of this stuff. Yeah. And that kind of drifted away when people didn't feel that quite so strongly. And then Partygate, he's super critical of. Because again, he's found the right line to pull. And that's kind of his mode. If Actually, his, his tracking of kind of Meghan and Harry is probably the most accurate version of this because in initially when Meghan appears, he's super positive to her. And there's, you can read into like how much this is personal because he allegedly had a drink with her before her first date with Harry. And then, I know. Well. And, then, and then she stopped talking to him as a friend even and suddenly he turned against her. Maybe it's personal, maybe it's not. But the point is, is as the country started to feel a bit uncomfortable with her, he just tracked that and now is incredibly aggressive and anti her. And, you know, can blame on personality, can blame on race, can blame on a bunch of different things. But it broadly is him tracking the opinions of the country, whether he leads them, whether he follows them, don't know. But he is finding the thing that most people are going to get most angry about at that right time. So I want to move on to our, uh, a, a new segment here and talk about his numbers, because I do wonder if in a more digital environment, which he seems to be in now, whether that works as well. Like, are people watching his new show? This is where it gets super interesting. The reason he was effective on Good Morning Britain is because he was driving a conversation every single day. And hijacking, like, the biggest platform to do so. Yeah, he doesn't have a loyal audience. He is just always there. Like, there are no, like, Pierce Morgan stands, right? Yeah, people are like, ooh, Pierce Morgan's on. That'll be controversial. Like, if he's on, like, a talk show, we'd oh, that's, that'll be a controversial episode. He'll say something wild. He'll do whatever. But really, people aren't going to follow him in places. And that seems to be the evidence of what's happened. That rules so hard. I love that. Yeah, it's really, really fun. So, yeah, on Monday, nearly 400,000 people tuned in because he had a, an interview with Donald Trump. The next day was 200,000. The day after that was 100,000. And now it's sort of flattening out to about 100,000 viewers. So that's why she got on TV, and that's not a lot. No, it's not. And the, the Trump one was the one that ended with Trump, like, storming off, right? Exactly, exactly. What's really interesting, though, is obviously they need to push out that they've had a success. They've been a, a successful launch. Yes. And they've done that by saying that they had, in the first six days, uh, 64 million global online views. Uh, they love the global. They love that global. Yeah. Now, News UK claimed that Talk TV's launch, Piers Morgan's first week, worldwide, it reached 64 million people. Uh-huh. And I think that's an important word, reached. Yeah, what does that mean? That is a great question. Now, they say it includes all of the online viewing of video content. So that's not 
posts they've put up about it. That is online viewing of video content on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Samsung TV+, Plus, uh, News Corp websites, The Sun and New York Post, and Talk TV. The talk, sorry, the talk TV like, website and app. Wait, hold on. Are they counting like social video clips? They will be, yeah. But the thing is, is I still can't get to that 64 million number. So how how far have you made it? Like Okay. So, all right, going through going through the, the, the initial four, so Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. And the biggest video I found on any of those, viewership-wise, was on Twitter, about 600,000 views. Uh, Facebook, it's got like 25,000 followers on its page, not a huge amount, and there's not like a bigger page attached to it. Okay. TikTok, again, it's they only put like four or five videos, and most of them have done like 10, 12. I personally can't believe that Pierce Morgan is yeah. killing it on TikTok. Instagram, similar, just not huge numbers, which is not kind of not surprising. It's hard to launch something like this now. Um, and that's even with like shares across to bigger pages because, you know, it used to be that, you know, if you had the sun and they've, when they had like seven, eight, nine million followers on their Facebook page, they share it across, you will get a big boost. That's not really the case anymore. Like the video yeah. does need to work. You can't just force views to it. So those are the four. Now, the day before that, uh, Piers Morgan said that they'd had six million online impressions, which is, I don't think, I think, okay, so if we say, okay, they had 10 million in total across those four channels in those that first week. That's like uh-huh. a fair number. So that leaves us 54 million to get to. Now, okay. I, I, I excluded YouTube from this, that because I'm, I'm thinking maybe they don't include that as a social network. But the YouTube channel also has not done huge numbers. The biggest video on that was an interview with uh, Tyson Fury, uh, which has done 180,000 or so views. Okay. Which, okay, that's about typical. So you can kind of go through it and it's about, uh, most of them have done a lot less than that. It's like 15,000, 20,000, that sort of number. Right. Uh, and again, not a huge number of subscribers. It's like 15,000. So when you add all that up, let's say they've got a million on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Samsung TV Plus, which is, uh, actually, it's on this TV in my living room. As we can, can watch see. Pierce Morgan in your we living room? We can watch Pierce Morgan in my living room, yeah. All right, let's go. Uh, but that is kind of like the inbuilt Samsung app that comes to TV. I don't see why that would be a different number or significantly different number to the overall ratings. Like, I think if 700,000 people watched it or 800,000 people watched it on TV itself, I don't see why suddenly they would gain like 10 million on the, on the app within the TV. Yeah, unless unless they have a deal with Samsung that it automatically turns on. Yeah. Pierce Morgan takes over your smart TV. But fortunately, I have evidence. It did not do that. It, okay, well, then there you go. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think that's probably a negligible number. Even if we say it's the same. Let's say, okay, it's another million. Fine. Yeah, I don't, I don't see like... Pierce Morgan stands, rise up and buy Samsung smart TVs so we can watch our favorite guy. But he's also, he's on regular TV on it as well. Right. So you can either watch it on regular TV or you can go through the back end to Samsung's own TV apps. That doesn't make much sense to me. So where did all these people come from? Right. So I, I've, by now I've got, I've got 10 million on socials. I got 1 million on YouTube. I've got, let's say another million on Samsung TV. Uh, let's say five episodes, 5 million on the main thing uh so what's that that's uh 17 million and they're saying they've got they're claiming 64 million their talk tv website and app i don't think many people have that Uh, that if anything is a few thousand so i'm going to entirely dismiss that uh which means you're then left with the sun and the new york post now they are both big outlets pretty big but there is not a major post that has burst through on like crowd tangle and the amount of actual search interest Piers Morgan got globally in the week of his launch is a comparable to the TV show, the UK TV show EastEnders. Your your benchmark, for my it. benchmark. Yeah. So he's not had a blow up of massive amounts of interest. 
the there's no post from either of these websites that's burst out and done like 20 million or 30 million views and you can't really make it up in the aggregate because you'd still need a lot more than that yeah which means peak i can't get to more than about 15 20 million views for him and he's claiming 64 million that means they have to be adding something else into it i am assuming that they are using reach figures from social media i.e the number of times it has passed through someone's feed i mean they said reached exactly now as a comparable thing to this wait can you explain uh social reach to people who don't do content marketing sure so reach so a viewer if you if someone views a video and that doesn't have to be a long view uh, but a view on facebook is like three seconds yeah uh your reach beyond that is the number of people who saw that didn't reach three seconds so if 10 people saw it and one person watched three seconds your view count is one your reach is 10 yeah so i think that this is pretty interesting because if you compare it to gb news uh who said after 10 weeks that they had had one billion online reach <laughs> on one billion online reach i was like okay and i dug into these those numbers then and figured out basically the same thing now i think comparably they have done they gb news that they did a billion in 10 weeks talk tv are saying they did 64 million in a week so that that would add up to 640 million over 10 weeks that is a comparable number so I think that the only way that Piers Morgan has got to 64 million online reach is that he is genuinely counting every time a video has gone through someone's timeline on Twitter or gone through someone's timeline on Facebook or been recommended to someone in the sidebar on YouTube. That's the only way that he could have got to those numbers, which is madness as a way to measure the impact of a TV channel. Well, it's, it's also really funny. Like, In fact, I was, I was just doing research on this. Uh, I was looking at sort of global right-wing website traffic and it's all really down and it's been down for months in fact i first noticed this uh at the beginning of the year when i was writing about the freedom convoy there's a real shrinking happening within conservative media and i think there's there's a couple interesting things that pierce morgan is kind of at the front line of which are all kind of happening right now and one is that as public platforms shrink Figures like Pierce Morgan are going to have a really hard time because no one cares about them. Like, like if Pierce Morgan disappeared tomorrow, no one in the world would really care. And I want to be really clear. If Pierce Morgan disappeared tomorrow, no one would ever, no one would care. He doesn't have any fans. Yeah. No one, no one loves him. <laughs> no one loves where, where are we going with this? <laughs> no one loves Pierce Morgan. If, except Pierce Morgan. Except for Pierce Morgan. And without a public platform, without a Good Morning Britain, without a Facebook... There's really not a world where Pierce Morgan does well. And this kind of happens in cycles, right? Like we go through a cycle where all media is kind of based around fandom and supporting individual people, whether they're good people or bad people. Like everyone sort of has these cults of personality. Then that kind of dies out and we go back to like a public platform style thing where everyone's watching the same thing, whether or not they like it. And and then the Pierce Morgans kind of use that and they hijack culture that way. And then we've sort of done this cycle since mass media was invented. And we're sort of cycling out of the public platform era and we're going now back into individual creators and smaller networks and weirder subcultures and niches. And this is happening on the right wing as well. And so I think that's really interesting that Pierce Morgan's struggling because, you know, if if Talk TV had found some right wing British influencer and been like, we'll give you a show, it probably would have worked a lot better for them. To be fair, they sort of tried that. Uh, well, rather, GB News has tried that. 
Jimmy Neves has got to a lot of the kind of right-wing Well, there's Tom Harwood, who is an ex-Guido reporter. Oh. And then there's a bunch of other kind of commentators who have been in kind of in that, that space. Some of them are better than others. And I think that they have discovered that it is quite hard to bring people over to linear TV from a social platform. That's also true. And we, we sort of talked about this a little bit with the, with the Tucker Carlson thing, which is that, you know, I don't know what the numbers are on Fox Nation. I assume they're slightly better than the numbers were for CNN Plus, yeah. RIP. But I don't see that like you sort of have to be the Tucker Carlson level to try to bring people to a platform. Yeah, you do. Especially when it costs money. Yeah. Uh, I think if I was if I was running Talk TV, I think what I would be doing is having Piers Morgan do, you know, Roz Atkins from the BBC? Yeah. Yeah, who does like six minute, basically six minute dead down the line explainers. I would be ripping off that format and doing it, but from a kind of a common sense, aren't people ridiculous perspective. Conservative John Oliver. Yeah, essentially. But again, not quite conservative because it's not quite he's not quite conservative. Right. He's a radical what what do we say? Radical centrist. Radical centrist. He's he's a radical common censor, which means he's just like it's just common sense of this. It doesn't look any more than that. And his common sense is misogynistic, it's yeah, uh, yeah. sexist, racist, uh, and vaguely conservative. It's conservative the small C, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should be clear. Should we start like a right wing news station? I feel like we'd run one very well. I don't know. It, it would get censored. We just get so that's the other thing, which I think is worth pointing out here, is that like the entire Infowars, OAN, Newsmax, all that stuff in America, you can't legally do that here. Yeah, it's it's a lot more complicated than that. You have to have like there are genuine broadcast standards, which means that you have to have like degrees of balance. You have to like when you're doing things, you have to measure them. It's one of the things that GB News discovered actually was that they really struggled to be able to balance things correctly with the amount of content they had to put out. So what they ended up doing was they switched to new, doing news bulletins at, the, bulletins at the top of the hour, which made it easier for them to balance things. Wait, so when you when you say balance, like how does that work? What do they have to do? It, no one's quite sure. Uh, it's, 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 it's part of broadcast regulation. Basically, Ofcom regulate it and say that you have to have balance, which means you need opposing voices. So you can't simply have a load of people agreeing with each other. And in some ways that expresses itself quite badly, so Dan Wooten, who is on GB News and is very anti-lockdown and COVID skeptic sort of thing, but bumping up a, the, against the edge of it, like not quite saying enough to get to be a, a genuine problem, even though he's saying a load of fucking nonsense. Yeah. Uh, but what he does is he can bring on a scientist. To yell at. Yeah. So that, that is the balance. There's an opposing voice. So like basically there's like a, so Ofcom would be like your version of the FCC. And there's basically just like a person like fielding, complaints and watching it being like oh they're agreeing yeah i mean there's there's a there's a challenge there that ofcom have not really been that hot on it because it is a very complicated thing to do because these rules and laws and regulations that were written kind of before this era so they are they there's a little bit of a struggle there and and, and it's relatively rare for shows to get actually say like hey you didn't have due balance uh it tends to be prompted by user com- by, by by user complaints by viewer complaints we don't have to do that right as a podcast no because we're not on tv okay we're not offcom regulated good could should we be well i mean this is a really interesting question because you know netflix is not offcom regulated should i start sending content minds episodes to offcom and ask them what they think I mean, yeah, it's sure. Go for it. Please, sir, stop sending us your podcast with you and your friend. (laughs) 
Yeah, so because Netflix isn't regulated here. Well, it's actually it's regulated in Holland. Wait, what? It's regulated in the Netherlands. Netflix. Yeah. Only UK the Netflix. Netherlands. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, there are some there are some plans to change that, which makes sense because it should be regulated in the UK when it's showing in the UK. Yeah, I would say so. Well, what do you think? Uh, what do you think happens with Mr. Pierce Morgan and his new TV channel? Uh, I think it runs for maybe a year, and he. Uh, bails because he said like I've done what I wanted to do it's time for a new challenge uh, doesn't admit failure and says actually it was greatly successful despite the fact that no one's watching it I just I don't I do not think that there is the scope for a hard right channel which it sort of is I don't think there's scope for that much talk news TV on British TV because I just don't think that I know it just doesn't feel like it fits our culture effectively I think there potentially is is, is room for a a new different quality news channel i do think there's space for something that sits against bbc news 24 and is more analytical and has a lot more you know interviews and more interesting bits so whereas the bbc news channel is just kind of a rolling yeah. feed but i don't know if either of either gb news or talk tv i do think it's funny that, that like basically right. i mean this was steve bannon's whole like project and like all the brexit stuff there was this like real impulse to do exactly what was happening in the uk and the us and vice versa and it keeps happening where like the conservatives in one country go like, it surely must be the same in the other. Yeah. It's like, oh, Brexit worked in the UK. Let's do the exact same thing in America. And it's like, it didn't really work that way. And then there's this massive push from American conservatives to set up the exact same infor- information apparatus as we have in America here, even though the the entire way that British people consume TV is different, in my opinion. Yes. Like, you don't, like if the TVs all stopped working here tomorrow, I'm not sure how long like you guys would care. Like part of me thinks like you just move on pretty fast. But the news segment stopped. For sure, but like I don't even I don't even see this country as like being like that. Like all of American culture runs through TV to a degree. We, I mean, we do have a weekly show which is about other people watching TV. It's great. It's called Gogglebox. I highly recommend it. It did they tried it in America and it failed actually. Yeah, because Americans don't want to watch other Americans watch TV, but British people do want to watch British people watch TV. Maybe that's what they need to do. They need to have Pierce Morgan. You know what Pierce Morgan should do? Honestly, he would kill. He should just do a reacts YouTube channel. Yeah, he yeah. should just watch stuff on Twitch or YouTube and get angry about it, and then clip that, and it would go super viral. Yeah, that would work. Pierce, if you're listening, you and I tweeted back and forth a couple of years ago. You tweeted something mean at me. And then I screenshot a tweet that you had written that says, I want to die. And I tweeted, this is how I feel when Pierce Morgan tweets at me. And I tweeted it back at you. I want to settle that beef. And I want me and Luke to manage your YouTube account. I hate everything you say and do and stand for. But I think that we could really, we can, we can knock this out of the park. I mean, you like that he stands for, for engaging content. I do love his raw uh, love of content. <laughs> you know? Hey, Luke. Speaking of content, hold on. I have, I have. Speaking of of shitty opinions, I have a thing that I have to do. Okay, what do you have to do? I have to apologize for something I did on the podcast two weeks ago. Uh, I uh, made fun of the concept of uh, demisexuality, uh, which I, was a shitty thing to say at the time. It was a bad joke, and someone rightfully highlighted on the Discord that it was a shitty thing to say. Uh, so I'm, that's this is me apologizing for it, and I'm well, sorry. I'm glad you're that. apologizing. I remember you you mentioning it. I didn't. I didn't think. Well, it's not for me to decide. I didn't think you were being super flippant, but that's fair. And thank you for apologizing. 
I do have a list of uh, many other things that you've said on the show that I would love for you to apologize for. I have a list of things that you've done to me personally. In, in, in the in, last 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. That's fair. But no, thank you for that. Do you want to read one last shitty opinion, which is Donald Trump's take on Pierce Morgan? He's actually released two statements about Trump. The, Trump. Yeah, read them. So, so this was this is Donald. Them. They're incredibly long. We'll read the, your favorite part. This is Donald Trump reacting to Pierce Morgan's most recent interview of him. The interview is actually very strong on the 2020 election fraud, with me calling him a fool if you truly believe the results. The evidence is massive and irrefutable. Check out Truth, the Vote, and the Dinesh D'Souza documentary, which will be out soon. Oh, my God. And then his second one, if I did what Piers Morgan did in his fake interview, re-rigging and redoing my words and then making it sound like I walked out of an interview, the failed gubernatorial candidate and radical left racist attorney general of New York State, Letitia James, would start an immediate investigation and demand the reinstitution of the death penalty, or whatever may be worse than that. Is he, th- is he threatening to kill Pierce Morgan? No, no, he says that if he'd done it, he would be tortured to death, I oh, think. Oh, he would be to- I see what he's saying, yeah. If he was as bad a journalist as Pierce Morgan, the governor of New York would kill him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, you know what? You know, I'm really glad that Donald Trump has been effectively removed from most of the internet, but the man can, he can really rattle off uh, a really petty insult like nobody else. He's got that evil heart, you know? He's actually doing it at his rallies. His bit is now how Piers Morgan let him down or betrayed him. Great. I mean, that's great. That actually could help Piers Morgan's ratings, to be honest. Well, yeah, except you're in the US, you can only get on Fox Nation or whatever the hell that is. Yeah, that's true. Which, again, I'm just quoting to Trump now. That's, that's what he said about it. So. Yeah, well, there you He's go. He's a good media critic. He's he, he, <laughs> The New York Times needs a media columnist after Ben Smith left. Donald Trump? Yeah. Could be the new media columnist? That's interesting. Hey, Luke, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? He's just looking around the room now. I think he's looking for like things to say. Like, oh, I could, I read that book or I watched that. Oh, the books are behind you. I can't it's even see all the books are behind you. Right what a bunch of stuff. Nothing is very particularly interesting. Well, at the pub last night, you were talking about that Japanese show where children do basic tasks. Yes. Okay. Uh, I was old enough where children do basic tasks. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good. Uh, how about you? What content would you be consuming to stay sane? Yeah. All right. So. I don't think I've consumed any content since we last spoke. What, yesterday or last week? No, no, week? like since we last did this segment, I don't think I've consumed anything. Nothing. Talk about the article you were talking about earlier. That's so dark. No, it's fine. It's the point. It's a lot of different content. We can't talk We can't talk about a, sh- a Japanese game show for children and the ProPublica piece about the final days of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. It's, 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 it's too much. It's structural dissonant. It's way too structurally dissonant. Okay, I did a... <laughs> I did a Pokemon thing. I did a Pokemon. Pokemon. Have you listened to any? Have you listened to any podcasts? Talk about the Sunny podcast. Okay, there you go. Okay, uh, I finally caught up on the Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast. But more than that, because I don't want to do a repeat of what you did, I did a first. Oh. I listened to a podcast while driving a car. Oh, okay. So let's go over to our other show and talk about that. If you are interested in hearing that riveting discussion, head to thecontentminds.com. You can subscribe and get bonus mini-sodes every week. I also have some big personal news from me and Luke. This is the 99th episode of The Content Minds. Is it? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, I forgot. We were, yeah, 
the question really is is how we do what we do for a podcast next week and whether well, or not we record a podcast over the next three days. I had an idea. Okay. We're going to see Doctor Strange together we are. on Saturday after your stag do. <laughs> I it's think part, it's we, part of it. It's all part of it. <laughs> I think we should record a special hundredth episode for subscribers, for paying subscribers, where we talk about that movie like immediately afterwards. Okay. And that'll be like our little gift. Okay, but we're going to have to do it on the way to the pub to watch the Tottenham game. No, we'll do it the next day like regular human beings. Okay. All right, fine. Yeah, but I think that's what we do. Uh, we can record like an immediate reaction. if it's, we, should, we should do that. If it's totally yeah. wild. Yeah, okay. We can do that. So look for that. Uh, subscribe to The Content Minds at thecontentminds.com. That's what we'll be, we'll be dropping that. And, and next week we'll do like a completely uh, normal 100th episode. <laughs> <laughs> Back in our respective Zoom screens, which it is weird. Okay, this is this is a bit behind the curtain. I used to do a show called Internet Explorer. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, me and my co-host, Kianatopoulos, we used to record in person, and then I got moved to London. Mm. And though weirdly, five years ago, the technology really wasn't good enough to record a podcast remotely. It was actually really hard. And yeah. It wasn't fun. And then you and I started doing this show during COVID lockdown. So there was like, there's, and also you lived in the UK and at the time I lived in New York. Yeah. So there's like no version of this show that could have ever been done, not remotely. Yeah. And what's weird is I agonized on Internet Explorer for years about having to do a remote show and I hated doing it. Hated it. Yeah. This show, because it was conceived as a remote show, is actually strange to do in a room. It is. I would agree with that. I feel like I just. I just got used to it, like, right now as we're ending the show. <laughs> yes. We, so, need to, we need to record, like, four or five episodes in a row, and then we can kiss. Yeah. I mean, like, you and I, you know, we've we've sat at many pubs for many hours. Yeah. I've tried to count it once. Probably, we've probably spent over a thousand hours talking random bullshit at each other in pubs. Yeah, probably. Uh, which would make us, according to Malcolm Gladwell, experts. That's 10,000 hours. Is it? Uh, well, either way. But doing this show and like all its bits and pieces and thinking about how to do it uh, in a physical space is actually uh, very strange. It's a very strange feeling. Yeah, uh, it was also problems with voice volume levels. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Yeah, we still haven't figured out how to record. I don't. <laughs> okay, this is another bit behind the curtain. I don't have an interface that can do two inputs uh, or two microphone inputs, and your microphone doesn't even have an input because it's a USB microphone. Yeah. So we are literally recording this on two different laptops, and we're just going to sync it. Uh, oh, by the way, I want to thank our editor, Seven Wars, <laughs> for putting up with this week. And I, I really hope that it's not unlistenably bad. And But uh, yeah, thank you guys for supporting the show. Thank you for those of you who've listened to all 99 episodes, uh, yeah. which is really crazy. And not good for you. And probably not good for you. And yeah, we'll see you next week for, for episode 100 and our immediate reaction to Doctor Strange in, Into the Multiverse of Madness. Okay. Wait, is it called Into the Multi? No, it's Multiverse of Madness. And the Multiverse of Madness. Doctor Strange and... The Multiverse of Madness, yeah. All right. See you guys next week. Yeah. Oh, leave a comment on your podcast uh, app of choice as if... um, As if we were Pierce Morgan. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. 